Hi, my name is Selena. And my name's Ansel. And you're listening to Real Talk, where we talk for real about what we think about the most recent movies we've watched. Today's episode is about Oppenheimer, written and directed by Christopher Nolan. But first, uh... Any life updates? We were just talking about Old Boy before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched Old Boy for the first time last Friday. Um, because they re-released it in the states. Whoa, wait! I... You hadn't watched it before? No, no, I didn't. Oh, it, was shit. The, it was the only Park Chan Wook movie I haven't seen. I was waiting for it to come to theaters, so I was right. It did come out. It, it's like a. 4k restored version remastered i don't know what other adjectives they used tell us about your experience it was yeah it was pretty wild it was very explicit (laughs) sexually in terms of violence i don't know graphically but i'm just being redundant now um really really great cinematography music interesting script um great acting a very very interesting and strange plot um and and so i went to watch it with my colleague right colleague from work and and she was like oh maybe i've read too much explicit manga growing up so the plot didn't really shock me (laughs) (laughs) and i was like okay yeah yeah i didn't ask or say anything but okay (laughs) Yeah, and I was like, okay, that revealed a lot. Um, but I really enjoyed it. It was so good. It was it was really great. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like most of his movies are phenomenal. Um, this would be one of them. I guess this is his, what do they call it, magnum opus? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I really like his films. He's, uh, he likes unconventional narratives and messed up psychologically disturbed characters which i also enjoy reading watching about so and the audience was good you were telling me oh yeah great audience i went to some middle of nowhere suburb in new jersey um and the audience was pretty great they were laughing at all the right parts um and and it was a pretty funny movie too surprisingly oh was this an amc this was an AMC, but a suburbia AMC. Uh-huh. Also, at the end of the movie, they included an interview of Park with Nicholas Wendon Ruffing, who is another director. So the director was interviewing Park. And I don't know if you remember the really famous platformer one-shot fighting scene. Yeah, yeah, of course. So in the interview, um, the interviewing director was like, oh, what inspired you to do this? And then Park was literally like, oh, I was just lazy to take many shots of an action sequence. And I hate shooting action in movies. So I was like, how do I save time? And how do I get over with this quickly? And then he was like, oh, yeah, maybe I can do all of this in one shot. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. I was like, wow, it turned out really great just because you want it to be convenient. Pretty lucky. Mm-hmm. In a way. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, that was my old boy experience. Any life updates from you? Did I watch anything else? I also watched Anoma Lisa by Charlie Kaufman. Uh-huh, you did. How was that? It was very interesting, um, but as always, a mix of humor and depression, <laughs> which is apparently Kaufman's brain, so... Mm-hmm, yes. Your life updates? Um... In terms of movies, I had to check my letterbox because I apparently have no memory of anything. Uh, watched Oppenheimer twice mm-hmm. in preparation for this. And watched City Lights, the Chaplin movie, in an art house theater in Seoul. Which was great because the audience was great. And popcorn mm. was not allowed in that theater, which was also great. Okay, wow. Yeah, silence. Good. <laughs> That's it. And in terms of life, uh, finished work. School starts in twelve hours. Oh my Kill gosh! Kill me now. Uh, yeah. Oh my I... god. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's all good. Um. Wow. Are you excited for class? I guess not. I don't know why I asked that. I knew the answer to yeah, it there already. You, go. you got your answer. <laughs> okay. On to the movie. Yes. Um. So it's been a while since I've seen Oppenheimer. I I remember what I wanted to talk about concerning the movie, but I will have to rely on you mostly. Oh, that's that's a bad sign. Okay, well, let's like summarize this movie first. The film follows J. Robert Oppenheimer, who's considered the father of the atomic bomb, as he first learns quantum physics in Europe, brings it to America, ends up as the director of the Manhattan Project, becomes a prominent figure in U.S. politics, or I guess international politics, and goes through a security trial later on when his security clearance is revoked during the McCarthy era because of his like communist-adjacent political activities or far-left political standing mm-hmm. from before the Manhattan Project. And the movie is an, actually an adaptation of the Pulitzer Prize-winning biography of Oppenheimer that I have here in my hand. Hands? called American Prometheus, The Triumph and Tragedy of J. Robert Oppenheimer. It's by Kai Bird and Martin J. Sherwin. Kai Bird is an interesting name. Um, yeah. True. It doesn't sound like the person who wrote American Prometheus. <laughs> Sounds, Sounds like, like a... an internet name. <laughs> or like a, what do you call those? Like martial arts sen- like <laughs> Sensei? Sensei is a, <laughs> is <this> Japanese. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> oh my god. Um, I was going to ask, I mean, as always, we can start talking about the opening or the the beginning of the movie. Right. Which I missed the first time I watched the movie because mm-hmm. oh. we were like 20 seconds late. Okay, wait. So how was your first viewing experience different from your second one? Um... My first one, bigger screen, much louder audio, which actually I was mm. not a fan of. Too loud. Uh, 20 seconds late, missed the beginning, which pissed me off throughout the whole movie. <laughs> um, packed theater, but everyone was silent, so it was fine. In terms of how I felt about the movie first time, I was disappointed because I had built up such expectations for this movie. Yes. And not only that, like reading the book somehow, I think messed up my experience because... I had an image of these characters in my head from the book. Oh, yeah. And if the movie doesn't reciprocate that reciprocate that exactly, it's a, it's a, it feels off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. And then the second time, I was more accepting of the movie because I knew what to expect. 
uh, liked the music more the second time around. I don't know. How did you feel after the movie? I only watched it one time. Um, and then after the one time, I was like, yeah, I don't feel like I want to watch it the second time. Like, it didn't feel like a need. Maybe I should have cause, just because I need to talk about it now. But but it just feels like a very conventionally made A to Z movie. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not like, oh, wow, I really want to rewatch that. It's like, oh, I, it gave me all it could in that two hour period or 2.5 hour, hour period oh shit okay <laughs> which was actually a good thing because it was three hours but it didn't feel like three hours i guess so yeah but it also didn't feel like a rewatchable three hour i get that and mm-hmm. also other nolan movies you feel like you'll get something new out of it upon a rewatch because mm-hmm. you it's always so complex and you're like oh i wish i could rewatch it so i can understand more but this yeah. wasn't that yeah yeah this was probably his most conventional compared to his other films yeah it's because it's so Mm -hmm. biographical his other ones are like sci-fi yeah mind bending time bending this one was kind of about time because they do jump between Mm -hmm. there's that whole objective black and white and the color Mm. means subjective blah 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 Mm -hmm. bullshit and (laughs) uh, the jumping back and forth between robert downey jr and what even was that like it wasn't a trial what was it oh yeah it was like um it's a it's a senate confirmation hearing a senate confirmation hearing the fuck is that tell me um paralegal (laughs) Um, so I think Strauss is supposed to be nominated for a specific position. Right, so he was put under scrutiny because he wanted to be named into some kind of position. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, I think into some committee or subcommittee of the Senate. Secretary of Commerce nomination, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, yep. And they voted against him. Hooray, and JFK was one of them, which was like such a needless mm-hmm. name drop when they were like, his name is John F. Kennedy. You <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. I was talking to someone, uh, and he was like, they said it as if there's going to be a sequel about JFK. <laughs> yeah. Like, I- like, JFK will return. <laughs> What was I even saying, though, before we went on this tangent about what his trial was? Oh, yeah, yeah. How he was jumping back and forth between Strauss's trial thingy, or whatever it's called, this Senate, Senate election. confirmation hearing. <laughs> there you go, bunch of words. And, like, Oppenheimer through the years, and the Manhattan Project. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it was like a Nolan movie, and, like, the timeline being all wonky. He tried hard to make it like a Nolan movie. Huh. Um, and I guess it worked for most people, but I don't know if it was necessary, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But what is a Nolan movie without that, you know? Mm, true, like, true. Is it a Nolan movie? It could have just been a great movie instead of just a Nolan movie. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's safe to say neither of us liked this movie that much. Yeah. I mean, we both liked yeah. it. Yeah, I liked it, but I didn't love it. And did you feel anything? I felt nothing. <laughs> You're right? um yeah the the one part that i really liked i could even say love was the trinity test scene really okay tell me more i mean just technically ah i see i see technically um it was it was great i i really loved how he decided to mute the scene when they were setting off the bomb the test bomb well it wasn't really a decision so much as it actually was silent that is true you're right because it took that long for the sound to travel 
Yeah, but it was completely silent, like no static or any white noise. Or maybe there was, I just don't remember, but... Yeah, there was like yeah. some noise, I think. Okay, during that scene, the person sitting next to me was like... Because <laughs> we had been so traumatized by loud sounds before that scene. So loud. He was covering his ears. <laughs> and I, I followed suit, but like, it was it was a distraction. I wasn't focused. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay. Okay, so let's get back on track. We can go, like, sort of in chronological order from the opening scene again. So the opening starts with a quote, right? I don't remember exactly what it said, but something related to Prometheus. Prometheus stole fire from the gods and gave it to man. For this, he was chained to a rock and tortured for eternity. That's the quote. So I guess, yeah, he's essentially foreshadowing what would happen to Oppenheimer. Likening him to Prometheus, which is a pretty straightforward move. Yep. It's what the book's called, like, simple. Yeah. And most of the opening sequences involved Oppie. I'll call him Oppie because Oppenheimer is a mouthful. (laughs) So we see him go through college. What was he studying again? Was it physics or chemistry? Uh, No, actually, okay, so he went to Harvard for his bachelor's and initially it was chemistry, but he switched to physics or something like that. And then he went to Cambridge for like a year. And then he went to Germany, where he was very happy. And then he went to mm-hmm. Holland. Uh, and then I think around then he came back to America. Went to Berkeley and Caltech to teach. But like, also he looked too old to be a bachelor student in those years. <laughs> <laughs> I think they tried to make him look younger a little bit. Yeah, of course he did. Yeah. But like, uh... Yeah, I don't know. It was fine. Yeah, I mean, the opening scene was fine, like. It was just fine. Maybe the quote was a bit much. The qu- yeah, I thought I thought the quote was a bit in your face, but but it's okay. So the biggest qualm I had about the opening, which kind of carries out throughout the movie, was the pacing. Mm-hmm. I was not a fan of the pacing right away. Mm-hmm. I, Same. I could feel the pacing, and I just did not like it. Same. Mm-hmm. It was like very quick cuts of his early life. Very quick. Um, it felt like you were, like, zooming through a time machine, um, every, like, one minute. Um, and I don't know, it just, like, it didn't let you sit with him in any one moment of his life, or just with mm-hmm. him to get into his head or learn more about him as a person. It it was just showing you what happens to him throughout the first few years or even decades of his life. I was just not a fan of that. Same, that's the first, like, discernible feeling about the movie i had while watching it was that Mm -hmm. the pacing was pretty much consistently quick throughout the entire movie i'd Mm -hmm. say there were some slow parts but i was not a fan of i don't even know what to say but i can also understand because look at how thick this book is right and this man's life Mm -hmm. is like insane to -hmm. cover that in a movie is going to be hard yeah so he was trying to cover everything sort of which is why he went with this pacing which is why i did not like it as much um what he didn't really emphasize was how privileged Oppie was since he was a kid mm. very wealthy family like uh there was a scene where you can see Oppie staring at like a picasso painting he definitely owned that because his dad owned a couple paintings and a wow. picasso okay or something and like crazy rich crazy privileged uh very well educated you know that that would have been a very interesting part of his life to talk about it right actually yeah. but he just yeah 
Thank you for sharing. <laughs> okay. So the thing about the pacing, I think with this pacing and with this style going in, the the biggest issue I had with the movie is that it's a lot of showing, not telling. My bad. It's a lot of telling, not showing. Even as a film, you're looking at it because it's showing you something, but it's not actually showing you what is going through his head, how he's necessarily feeling. It's it's a lot of telling. It's it's through the dialogue that he, you know, tells the people around him what he thinks or feels. And it's through the quick cuts that they quote unquote tell you what is happening, why he's making the decisions he's making. It you just don't you don't get to be a part of the process. You just take yeah. it as it is. If there was something slower where the audience has to try to like make sense of what's happening, like none of that is happening. Yeah, yeah. It's just like mm-hmm. yelling at you with the soundtrack about how you should feel <laughs> as well yeah. as what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yelling at you the entire time, um, which is why I guess it's so yeah. accessible to all viewers because they don't have to do much thinking, you know? They just watch it I and mean, be like, even yes, some viewers, this is happening. Even some viewers weren't able to sit through the whole movie because even this is too much for them. But you mm-hmm. know what? This is the least confusing Nolan movie I've seen. That is true, which is also probably why it's my least favorite. <laughs> oh, I did not like... Um, what was the previous one? Tenet? That was my least favorite. Wow, okay. I don't remember much of it, but I liked that it was very confusing or or that it had a lot going on. Maybe not necessarily confusing. You just liked, um, what's his name? Robert Pattinson? Yeah, him. He was good in that. I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so pacing was no bueno. And I mean, I feel like, so it did get better for me after the 50% mark of the movie because um, they stopped going through it as quickly and for example the the little kangaroo court section where they were trying to decide whether or not to renew Oppie's security clearance um, that part went on for a bit. I actually really liked the second half of the movie. The one time where they took their time with the pacing was the Trinity The Trinity, test. exactly, yeah. I was going to say. Which is why it's my favorite, I guess. I just wasn't impressed by the bomb. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily impressed by the bomb, but I, I liked, filmically, I liked that scene. I liked how it was shot. I liked how it was like staged and directed. Dramaturgically. <laughs> yes, dramaturgically. <laughs> For the listeners, that was a succession reference, by the way. Mm-hmm, yep, that was. In general, I really like courtroom procedurals, so trial movies, which is why I mm-hmm. I enjoyed the second half of the movie. Um, I found that interesting. It did get more dramatic, as all courtroom scenes are. Audible gasp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think for me, that type of genre, it makes sense to be telling you something to be straightforward yes Um, true and at the same time it's also like that second half of the movie there was something going on behind the scenes that we don't know right away which is that strauss was in fact being antagonisty and it it slowly (laughs) uncovers that which is why i liked it the instigator of oppie's demise yes exactly that scene where during like the kangaroo court section when Emily Blunt's character Kitty was imagining Mm -hmm. Oppie with 
Jean, do you remember that scene? Uh, do I remember <laughs> that scene? Yeah. You might have erased it from your memory, I don't know. Nope, still there. I don't know, thoughts? Was it her imagining it? Is that how you interpreted it? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, what did you, what did you interpret it as? Because to me, everything is Oppenheimer's point of view. Like, at no point is it, is it Kitty's point of view. It's all about Oppenheimer. It's, it's called Oppenheimer. So it was more like, whenever... Because she looked over at them, or maybe it could be Oppie imagining that she was looking at them and he felt guilty. Yes, either that or like no one was imagining anything and it's just kind of like a... Like there were a couple scenes where it gets really loud and Oppie's like either daydreaming or feeling guilty or something. And Mm. I don't know how to describe it. You know that stomping... That sound of the stomping, yeah, yeah. how it appears consistent a couple times before mm-hmm. the actual stomping scene. And I'm pretty sure that was audible during that scene. And like the walls shuddering. Mm-hmm. And every yeah. time that happens, I just got the feeling that it's Oppie feeling incredibly guilty and just overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So I guess I just understood it as, oh, he's feeling like shit. Not really that anyone's actually imagining that happening on top of him. <laughs> So he's feeling like shit about having slept with Jean? Or having, I don't know. I don't know, whatever he was talking about. Yeah, I guess that was it, wasn't it? No, it was It was very I... strange because the emphasis was on Kitty looking at him and her in the little office courtroom doing it. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you about the scene because I have no idea what it meant and what to think of it. Yeah, I don't know. I I saw it from Kitty's point of view because the camera was so set on her face looking at them. It just seemed like she had to live with knowing that Oppie had an affair. Yeah. Or multiple. Yeah. What other affairs did he have? Did you find out in your book? Didn't didn't he fuck um, Lawrence's friends? That's why Lawrence dropped out of the, like, to testify or whatever he was doing. Because he, f- mm-hmm. oh no no, that's not why he dropped out. That's why he wanted to testify against Oppie because he found out that Oppie was fucking some other scientist's wife, mm. and he died of a broken heart. And then Oppie's heard saying, "That's bullshit," because he never found out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember towards the very end, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I think so. So, you know, this is like another instance of how Nolan was trying to make this a Chris Nolan movie. He wants to pull out the rug from under us at the end like reveal reveal things at the end right right, right, right. yes and the very last scene has to be something that leaves you thinking and (laughs) (laughs) yeah thinking about oh how did i miss that in the beginning or no or just like leaves you thinking about like life or (sighs) i don't know okay i just i don't know didn't leave me thinking about life. <laughs> Same. Uh, we can talk about that later, though, because it's okay. the very last scene. Mm-hmm. Do you want to move on to the dialogue? Yeah. Play? Pretty straightforward. Yeah. A lot of the lines that you will remember, because it's kind of notable, are actually real things that were said. Mm. They're all in the book. There were so many lines where I was like, oh, that was in the book. That was also in the book. And that was also <laughs> in the book. Like, cool. Like, which lines do you remember? Not really. Anything prominent? Do you remember anything that you liked? There were too many. I don't remember anything I liked. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Let me think. It just... Yeah, it just felt like a very conventional screenplay. They were saying things for that scene. 
to move that scene along. Okay, so like the title of each chapter in this biography is like quotes. Okay, cool. Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> you know how Oppie says, "I happen to love this country." God damn it! I don't remember, but probably. Okay, well that was a real line said. Okay. I feel I have blood on my hands when Oppie says that to Truman. I remember, yeah. Also true. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of Oppie, notoriously is very charismatic, charming, good improviser. But whenever it was like an important thing, like when he was talking to Truman or when he was being questioned about Chevalier, 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 the Chevalier incident, um, he gets. What kind of name is that, anyways? Isn't that like I don't know French French word for something? You should know. You listen French. It means a knight. Like K N I G T. Yes. Yeah, every time they brought up the name Chevalier, I'm like, cool name. Right. Very yeah. That chivalrous. was like a communist friend. Oh, that's where chivalrous comes from. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, okay. my point was that Oppenheimer was really good with words, except for when he was put under pressure and he would get loquacious and just fuck it up, which he did with Truman and with that general guy uh, played by Casey Affleck. So he actually fucked up those two two times. Oh, interesting. Huh. Is it? I'm like, because uh, I feel the opposite. I feel like under pressure, I'm better with words, but without pressure, I just, I don't know. I, I speak like English, but not really English. <laughs> I am just bad in any scenario, but worse under pressure. Oh, you're fine. So the use of black and white versus color in the movie, thoughts? Yes. Okay, so no one has been saying constantly that black and white means objective, color means subjective. Does that aid in watching the movie, perhaps? What? Sure. Yeah, did you feel anything about that? I didn't feel much about it. Like, while I was watching the movie, didn't feel like it had too much of an impact on my viewing experience. Yeah. Um, didn't really notice it, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. So was it, was it necessary in the first place? I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's, it's cool for a director to go, yeah, this is subjective and that is objective, but didn't really influence my viewing experience. Um, I mean, okay, so for me, aesthetically, aesthetically, the black and white was interesting. Um, right, because you know how he developed, like, black and white IMAX film for that, because it didn't exist mm, before. Yeah, yeah. So I think for me, I appreciated it more from, like, an aesthetic point of view than than whatever he was actually trying to do with the color differentiation. I'm sure there's like a deeper whatever to it. I mean, isn't the deeper whatever to it just that (laughs) one is objective and the other is subjective? It is, but if you really thought about it, there's like probably some sort of message or meaning there. I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess then you'd have to see what was going on with Oppie and the subjective scenes. Um, Yeah. Yeah, but I think that's just it. Like, it's some things that happen in color are subjective, and you just have to figure out which ones are what the actually happens. Yeah, exactly. But it's also like taking it with a grain of salt whenever we're watching it with color. It's, we mm-hmm. don't know if this is actually what happened. Like the Chevalier incident. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a big thing. It's a whole chapter in this book, and it's about how no one really knows exactly what was said because it was so long ago, and no one can mm-hmm. recount exactly what was said. And Kitty claims being there, blah blah blah. It's just like a bunch of 
not at all black and white. Nothing mm-hmm. simple. Yeah, I guess. So if you care enough about Oppenheimer, the movie in person, you could try to rewatch the movie and pick apart the colored scenes and do like a deep dive. Yeah, which is kind of what I tried to do. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I wanted to finish the book before my second watch at least, mm-hmm. which I didn't once again. Okay. But you <sighs> so were I guess close. I'll just it's finish. okay. No, I wasn't. I was on page 350 <laughs> out of 600. Okay. Isn't most movies, like, non, non-Oppenheimer or non-Christopher Nolan, like, you know, figuratively in color? Subjective? Yeah. At least the ones with, like, unreliable narrators or, or movies where it's really focused on the protagonist's view of everything. Not really, just subjective in the director's point of view, but not necessarily a character. Because the whole point of this was, you know how it was written in the first person, the screenplay? Mm-hmm. So I guess it's a bit more subjective than normal. I think maybe I was trying to say it It plays out the same way visually. Oh, um, uh, yeah. Um, it's just about the storytelling. I don't even know, yeah. like, what's the point? Should we talk about the performances? There were lots of performances. There were lots of mm. actors, big yeah. name actors. And we have to start with the center man, Killian Murphy. Killian Murphy. Um, yeah, he was. He was great. He was phenomenal. We'll probably get yeah. a nomination for Best Actor. Oscar? Yeah. And whatever else there is. Did you watch Peaky Blinders? I did. He was, he was even more phenomenal in Peaky Blinders. Right, but did you see, kind of feel like there's a bit of an overlap? So, okay. Not the, at all? Um, or maybe he just seems that way in all of his roles, but... But unlike um, unlike Oppenheimer, which tells us about Oppie's life, mostly, I think Peaky Blinders is a lot of showing. Yeah, it is. Which is why I think his performance shines through so much more in Peaky Blinders. I, I don't it know, does. it just feels more meaningful, at least to me. I mean, but it's also longer form TV and... I guess so, but even with one episode, so much is going on without them oh. telling you anything, right? His yeah. performance, just everything is conveyed through his face. I think I like a bit more of silence in my movies. Yes, exactly. But there was so much talking, which is fine, but then there was either talking or music that was like breaking my <laughs> eardrums. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Some of the complaints about the movie were with the sound mixing. Um, but that might just be bad. Theater specific? Theaters. Or, yeah. yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. There's no way sound mixing is that bad in such a big movie. Yeah, you're right. Favorite scene with Killian? Favorite scene with Killian. Um, nothing really stood out. Like, everything... <laughs> What's that reaction? They're just nodding, man. Nodding, right? Yeah, exactly, right? Nothing... Nothing really stood out. Like, it was just, um, if it was like a graph, it was like flat the entire way. Meaning it's, (laughs) meaning it was the same throughout. Like, his performance was pretty much the same. Surprisingly, except for the female characters, all the other characters were flat. Like, you're, and maybe. Except for Benny, Benny Safdie. And Robert Downey Jr. Downey Jr. Yeah. Robert Downey Jr. more towards the end, I guess. He breaks down. That's an interesting point. Right? Yeah. Scientist men, unemotion, no. I mean, Lawrence was pretty emotional. Which one was Lawrence again? That guy who sort of looks like Channing Tatum, but isn't. Do you know who I'm talking about? What? No. (laughs) 
no. the experimental physicist in Berkeley that was yelling at him because he wouldn't stop his like oh. union activities. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. he looks. Um, the actor for that looks almost exactly like the actual person. I was looking it up earlier. What really? Yeah. Okay, well, obviously he looks worse than... <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, man. No, but they they sort of got his, like, the gist of his looks, you know? Not really. I think so. Like, <laughs> the, the glasses, maybe it's the glasses. And, like, the face shape. Yeah, it's just the glasses and the hair, that's and it. And the hair and the face shape. Okay, anyway. Anything more to say about Killian? I don't think he'll be nominated, actually. Even though he was great. Really? I think, I think he will, just, like, out of film world courtesy to nolan but how often are chris nolan's protagonists nominated for oscars like never that is a good point that is a good point huh maybe oh my gosh okay so my theory is you know because nolan likes to make his movies a nolan movie the movie is mostly a nolan movie not not the movie of any one of the actors you know, he he doesn't give them the opportunity to fully Ooh. shine or come through. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, yeah, his movies, yeah. Like his voice is so big that it's not really the actors that are carrying anything. Yeah, they get subsumed under his movie, under his screenplay, under his direction. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, I couldn't really enjoy Killian's performance, even though yeah, boom indeed. Yeah. But I loved Killian in, like, Peaky Blinders, for example. Just, like, totally different execution. But, like, the cigarette and the presence of a hat and wearing suits and just being tortured, like, that was so similar for me. That was, but I guess they're, like, they're more of the superficial similarity elements. Yeah, 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 definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And riding a horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, on to Robert. Robert Downey Jr. It's like, it's strange because I haven't seen him in a major feature film since Iron Man. Ever? No, just like in recent years, right? But have you seen him in more serious movies? Like Chaplin or... I don't recall. (laughs) Okay. Mm. Probably not. Probably not, yeah. He's a good actor. What do you think? He is a good actor, yeah. But he's a very particular actor, right? So it feels... It also feels similar. Um, yes. Because it's always him playing the character. Like, his mannerisms are always the same because it's just him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it didn't distract me or anything. It's not like I was thinking that's Iron Man. It was just, that's Robert. Yeah, yeah, it didn't distract me either. I was like, oh, that's probably just Robert. Um, even when he gets angry towards the end of the movie, it feels very similar to how he would get angry as Iron Man. Like, just the expressions. Ooh. And the mannerisms. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. By the way, there's something so satisfying about Robert Downey Jr. saying Robert really sternly to Killian Murphy. Oh, Because it's yeah, his own name. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just found it really satisfying. Mm-hmm. Just a brief interjection about how, like, just, like, related to how we're talking about actors being similar across movies mm-hmm. because it's, like, them in real life. Um, so the most recent Wong Kar Wai movie I watched, My Blueberry Nights, mm-hmm. like a week ago or two weeks ago? Um, no way, it was more like three weeks ago. Oh, really? Two huh. to three. Yeah, Damn, time, 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 yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all Nolan um, movies, time, yes. Yeah, 
no, it reminded me of Natalie Portman in the movie because she was so great. She was unlike herself in real life, and and it worked really well. Right. So yeah. there's these kinds of actors, right? The ones who turn into different people, like they're yeah. not recognizable, uh, character to character, like Daniel Day Lewis, for example, mm-hmm. completely different every time. Yeah, it just feels evidently more impressive, I guess. It does, Mm. compared to actors who are just playing them, playing those characters the way they would be if they were them. Yeah, Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just different types of actors, I don't know. Matt Damon is kind of like that too, the similar across his roles. Yeah, Mm. and then there's like the lower tier of that, which is like The Rock and Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like them playing the same person, exactly. (laughs) Dave Bautista. Yeah. Well, no, he's in Dune. He's a bit higher class oh, than that. True, true. Wow, I can't believe we're saying he's higher class than that. Well, not that I'm a fan. It's just like he's in Dune, so... No, you're right. He's also a little different in um, The Knock on the Cabin. The Knock at the Cabin. Ugh, I forgot no the idea. title. Yeah. All right. Uh, Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh. Right, the female companions of Oppie. Yeah, very, I mean, yeah, they're more dynamic compared to some of the other characters. Um, Yeah, they were more interesting. It brought a bit more life. More life, life. more color. Yeah, life into the movie. Less, uh, yeah, I'm not going to (laughs) say that. Florence Pugh, she was just there to be naked, that's how I felt. Yeah, to be like the mysterious woman. The the mysterious vibey woman. Um. The mysterious naked woman. (laughs) Okay, yes. I'm kind of cringing at the thought of that scene where she's holding the book. I was thinking about that too, yeah. That's in Sanskrit. Mm-hmm. And she's like, read this. Yeah. Uh, Did that actually happen? Was that in the no, book? No, that's not in the book. <laughs> but I can see why. Okay. Because that line, right? I am become death, destroyer of all worlds. Is that the mm-hmm. line? That's like important. And that happens later on in an interview where he brings it up. So if he wanted it in the movie, that was a way to do it. Yeah, I guess no matter how he puts that into the movie would have been strange or off or just straightforward. Yeah, but that was like a really strange way to put it in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I guess that's the point, right? He wanted to be provocative in a lot of ways. Dude, I I don't know. He wanted to be visually provocative and also with the quote intellectually provocative. I've heard people say they didn't hear whatever the characters are saying anytime (laughs) they were naked, which I kind of relate to. Or you're just saying that because that's you. I'm kidding. No, I heard someone else say it. I forget who. Did you notice that the scene where Jean Tatlock or Florence Pugh dies? There's a kind of uh, controversy about that or yeah it's sort of a yeah, mystery it's like open to interpretation right and mm-hmm. it's the same in the book as well because her death was kind of off in that her letter wasn't si- like it wasn't done it wasn't signed and the stuff the meds they found in her system something was off as well with that and it didn't make sense that she had eaten a full meal before taking her, the pills because she would have known mm. not to eat before taking the pills for it to take effect better and like mm. her dad found her but contacted the authorities after like four hours and he burned some things before they came oh my god like the fireplace what? was on fire yeah it's like super mysterious but oppenheimer was convinced she killed herself so that was that 
Oh, I guess that plays into, like, the subjective part of the movie, huh? Yes, yes it does. That's what I mean, though. Uh, what I mean is, like, no one knows what happens throughout the movie, yeah. I was just gonna say it would have been really interesting to see all of that in the movie, the right. parts you told me about. Yes, exactly. The bo- but... That's why I feel the book is better, it's more interesting, but also the focus mm-hmm. is so much more on Oppenheimer in the movie, so I understand. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was interesting to see, and like I'm glad I read the book for that, because I noticed it more. Uh, Benny Safdie, director, actor? Um... Oh, you are not a fan. No, I just... Interesting character. Um, yeah. He was putting on, like... Was it, like, a Hungarian or Turkish accent? I don't know where he's from. Yeah, I think it was Hungarian. Did you notice how he was sweaty the whole time? I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, he was kind of <laughs> greasy. I noticed. I was like, ick. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was, he was alright. He was, like, interesting. I mean, maybe because his character itself is supposed to be... He's always there to challenge Oppie in some way or another so he created that friction in the team which is which was entertaining and interesting to watch I saw an interview where Chris Nolan because Paul Thomas Anderson worked with Benny Safdie in Licorice Pizza Licorice Pizza yes which we saw together oh good times yeah second time for me yes it was and it was on film anyway Mm. so Chris Nolan called up PTA was like, how is Benny Safdie to work with? And PTA was like, oh, he's great. You'll love him because that's what PTA <laughs> says. And yeah, he was great. I mean, that's what Chris Nolan said. I think he was good. Yeah, he was good. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. He yeah. was funny. He was funny. Yeah. I guess he's also, um, along with Emily and Florence, his character was another one that added a little more mm-hmm. flavor. True, true. To the story. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. He's just Matt Damon, man. Like, well, you know what? He's actually very unlikable. General Groves is that his name. Mm-hmm. And in the book, it's talked about how unliked he was. But with Oppie, they had a certain mm-hmm. understanding. They respected each other. So, like, to once again point out that this movie is an Oppenheimer's point of view, he was presented as likable because with Oppenheimer, they got along. Mm, okay, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I did want to say something about the cast in general, mm-hmm. which is that, did you feel like the star-studded, or I don't know if this would be considered star-studded, but yeah, cast, did you find it distracting? Yeah. Like, would you have preferred, like, a, a lower-profile cast? In this or... case, no, mm-hmm. because... The scientists in this project are that star-studded. Not to say the actors who played the scientists in the movie were stars. They weren't. But it felt like it worked. Because these figures are all prominent, like Truman, like even if they're not the big scientists like Einstein or Niels Bohr or Heisenberg, it's like prominent people. But like, instead of, you know, the characters of the scientists being spotlighted for the prominence of the scientists would like the prominence of the actors take over did you feel that you know because like there's two layers yes yes i see what you're saying i actually did not i felt that with asteroid city for example but with this i didn't strangely did you um i i don't know again because i don't feel so strongly about this movie (laughs) i yeah i i don't particularly care but i do wonder how different it would have been with a different cast also i guess like at the end of the day it's still not to shade the movie 
constantly or anything, but it was just like, you know, a flat movie for me throughout. Like, if you're a fan of science and this like period, it's a bit more exciting, I would say. I mean, it's not to say that I wasn't into the scientific history and its figures like I did recognize a few but but just like narrative wise and just filmically it wasn't anything mind-blowing for me no at any point except for maybe like the trinity test scene but yeah yeah it I just Mm -hmm. didn't feel much of anything I didn't relate to any of the characters I didn't uh we can talk about more towards the end I guess with the last scene I was surprised by Gary Oldman because I was not aware he was in the movie. Were you? I wasn't aware. No, I was. I was having a hard time trying to decide whether or not that was Gary Oldman or not. <laughs> it took me a second, and then I gasped, yeah. and then no one else reacted. His eyes so were so big. I was like, "It's because what? of the glasses. <laughs> They're these glasses. Glasses? Yeah. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. Yeah, because Truman famously had terrible eyesight, so he wore these huge magnifying. Oh yeah like coke bottle glasses yeah he looked so funny he looked like a caricature yeah speaking of caricatures einstein what the fuck was that about i was not a fan of how they (laughs) used einstein einstein was just there (laughs) like you know that one time when when gene tadlock throws oppie's flowers on the ground and then oppie turns around and there's einstein like from out of the bushes or something and he's like he says something about that situation I thought that was just not... That's not how you used Einstein, man. Yeah, I feel like there would have been... There should be a more strategic way to have used Einstein. Or I guess it's more like Einstein was kind of Oppie's... Like, I don't want to say God, but like that mentor role in the movie. Mm-hmm. And that's why he appeared kind of here and there as a caricature. To give him advice or whatever. I feel like there should be a better way to have done that. I don't know. It felt very very stuck in yeah yeah like why go to him with the thing about the atmosphere igniting that makes no sense why would you go to the guy who <laughs> made relativity and refused to believe in quantum physics like why go to yeah him? i know i guess i don't know if this actually happened but i guess einstein was more a little more open i don't know was he a little more open to quantum physics than what we're led to believe i don't know i don't think so because from what i know i'm not done with the book or anything but from what i know till till he died he was pretty against it yeah so why did he go to him then like i was also trying yeah, to figure it I out i think that was all that was either like made up or or maybe it did happen and he was he was a little more open to it maybe than his public stance but about, also yeah. apparently that wasn't really a thing the whole concern about the atmosphere igniting like it was briefly and then it wasn't speaking of because they make the joke about how it's a near zero chance that the atmosphere will ignite mm-hmm. but they make that joke mm-hmm. twice someone pointed out yeah. to me yeah like it's a bit lazy that they use the same joke twice right uh i guess so i don't even remember when it was used again but uh yeah it doesn't even matter oh i think the first time they brought it up was when they were doing the calculations and second time the trinity test yep you're right and jason clark i just i just have one thing to say Mm -hmm. maybe two things so you know when he and oppenheimer are screaming at each other and the walls are shuddering and it's getting really loud Mm -hmm. Uh, he says nuclear tests or something along those lines twice, but he says them nuclear. It's nuclear, <laughs> not nuclear or whatever you're saying. I, that disturbed me so much. You can't say nuclear. Anyway, that's just oh, a wow. complaint. I, I didn't notice. Nuclear, my ass. <laughs> and um, him and 
Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan, The yeah. most punchable faces ever. This is good casting. Yes, you're right. Yeah, they, they do have punchable Such faces. punchable faces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dane DeHaan, his role made sense. <laughs> Funny scenes. There were a couple. I laughed a bit. Which ones? Uh, hard to remember. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. Like, Rami Malek scenes, I was laughing. Um, some jokes here and there. Yeah, I didn't... I don't think I laughed that much. Um, oh, yeah. I laughed when, near the end, when Louis Strauss, like, it was voted against him or something, and then he asked for the names of the people who voted against them. And when he <laughs> asked for the names, I laughed oh, yeah. out loud, because he's just so vindictive. This man is just... <laughs> All I can think about is... Yeah, so I laughed at that. Yeah. I, I was pretty amused when they brought up JFK in response to that, too. <laughs> yeah, I guess that was just, like, to be amusing. Yeah. Kind of funny. Yeah, I don't think it was a funny movie, obviously. <laughs> I don't remember laughing at any particular scene. I think, if so. anything, because I felt nothing, if anything, it was a funny movie. <laughs> okay. 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 Soundtrack... You don't. You say you don't remember the soundtrack. Yeah, I don't remember much of the soundtrack. Uh, I just thought it was too loud and distracting the first time. The second time, I guess I liked it. Okay, I, d- I don't remember anything about the soundtrack. Um, That's how I felt about Tenet. They were just sounds. <laughs> they were sounds. Yeah, they were just there. Yeah. Um, also, yeah, just I don't know. Again, very conventional, conventionally made. So the soundtrack just blends into the director's purpose for the movie. Yeah doesn't really stand out yes exactly i was gonna say i forgot to bring this up when we were talking about dialogue there's this one prophetic line in the film i forget who but it wasn't oppenheimer says they need us the scientists and then someone says yeah until they don't do you remember that oh oh yeah i remember i remember that yeah yeah so that was i think that was said it was in the book as well and that was the prophetic line in the movie oh and characters i just wanted to say because do you know richard Mm -hmm. Feynman? Feynman? Oh, yeah, I know Feynman. Yeah, you know Feynman. Uh, he was in the movie, did you notice? Yeah, yeah, played by Jack Quaid. I don't know the actor. But I enjoy- I love that they, like, put him in there, just, like, kind of as a cameo. Not really a prominent character, but he's there, because he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's known. He's playing his bongos, he's behind the- That was funny! Remember when they were doing the Trinity test, and Feynman was in his car, and, um, is his name Teller? Played by Benny Safdie, Teller. Yeah. Was like lathering on so much sunscreen. And sunscreen, he's like, is yeah. it rubbed in? And then Feynman's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when Feynman refuses the sunscreen because the glass from the car will stop the UV, Teller asks, what's going to stop the glass? And that was funny. Do you remember? I guess so. I remember that. But it was like, it was okay. I don't know. It was, it was I don't fine. Know. But I appreciated that, Feynman. Last thing, the ending scene, the ending line. What was the ending line? Remind me. Well, it was the conversation between Einstein and Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Where Oppenheimer says... It was like, remember when we remember when we came to you about the atmosphere like igniting and us destroying the entire world? And then Einstein was like, yeah. And then Oppenheimer was like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm afraid we did trigger the end of the world. I remember that. Yeah, it was something like that. And, and he walked away really depressed. Yes, and, looking. and the last shot was Oppenheimer just staring. Was it into space or was it into the camera? Into space. So that was supposed to... Yeah, it was just into space. That was supposed to make you think and be super depressed about the state of the world at the moment, but it didn't do that for me. Did it do that for you? No, I did not feel depressed about the state of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Same. 
And it was meant to make you want to talk about the movie with other people, which it didn't really do. Although I did have like quite a energetic talk about the movie with some friends at a bar, but it wasn't about that. It was more about the historical context about nuking Japan. That was funny, the scene where they were trying to decide where to nuke Japan, and the one guy's like, I crossed Kyoto off the list because we honeymooned there. Oh yeah, yeah, that was funny. That that yeah. was that was disturbing too but, <laughs> but yeah, so funny <laughs> yeah but we were talking about the context yeah. of world war Two and stuff and like that was a fun conversation to have but it wasn't about the movie it was just about the history <laughs> and That's i have cool I ha- wow yeah i happened to have the book with me so i whipped it out in the bar and then oh okay nerd much because they hadn't seen the Kidding. movie yet you just call me a nerd i did dude you're wearing glasses now you look like a nerd <laughs> ah I've been hearing this a you lot. You sound like a nerd. You look like a nerd. You act like a nerd. <laughs> Just wait till you see the rubber bands I have to wear. Oh my god. <laughs> In your teeth or what? Yeah. Where else? <laughs> oh my god. I pointed to this picture in the middle of the bar and I was like, look at this handsome motherfucker. Oh. Oh yes. I'm pointing to a picture of Oppenheimer. There was another scene I just thought about actually. Yeah. Um, so when, I guess it happens a couple of times, but one time is when after they drop the bomb in Japan, um, Oppie was making like a celebratory announcement in Los Alamos, I forgot when, um, and then when he starts talking, he starts seeing the people in the audience as victims of the bombing. Yes, and, yes, like, yes. Their skin starts yes. peeling off. What did you think about that scene? I think it just solidified that whenever these surreal things are happening or he's daydreaming or the the loud sounds and stuff it's just him going through the guilt of what he's done Mm -hmm. that's yeah that's what i thought i don't know what did you think yeah no yeah definitely that visually i guess it was interesting it was somewhat graphic but i thought the skin was like they did a really bad job with it (laughs) oh i guess so yeah maybe maybe that's what i thought um i don't know if they should have done more with that aspect or that was enough to just show that this is the repercussion of dropping the bomb especially as like some of the scientists like they walk out of like some room and they start throwing up because of the guilt they feel i think Feynman was one of them too yeah like other there were some other scientists who were also having like weird visceral reactions to the bombing what did you think about the scenes where he he invited like lawrence and sometimes his brother and then that one time kitty out onto like the the fields of wherever pero caliente yeah um riding horses yeah i don't know any thoughts about like that sequence um how it moved the story or movie along if you liked it oh i thought nothing of any of this movie like i got nowhere with this conversation period Uh, i guess it shows his close personal relationships how he the people he cared about all came over to pero caliente where he has a ranch to me it felt like another one of those things where nolan was trying to add flavor to the movie like a break from all the scientific dialogue and just sitting around and talking like he wanted to insert like something dynamic um, i wouldn't put that fresh on air. nolan because it was literally just oppenheimer feeling that way needing a break and therefore going to his ranch and inviting his friends but nolan decided to put that in the movie though like he yeah i mean yeah that's like he put that in the movie in between all of this 
True, but I think that's quite like, a straightforward mm-hmm. thing to do. But it's like a directorial decision, like from a director's True. point of view. I mean, I feel like a director can do anything he wants, but yeah. you know, he decided to do this. Yeah, that's the way I see it. But it's a decision that I think was obvious to make. Okay. Was it in the book? Yes. He goes to his ranch very often, and he constantly talked about combining Los Alamos and physics, which was also in the movie, and then he finally got to do it with the Manhattan Project. He kind of tricked them into going to Los Alamos, like the exact area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think they negotiated, because, um, yeah, he knew the land or something. Okay, because I had a thought about it. Like, I guess even though if, you know, if it happened in real life... You have to make a choice what to adapt. Yeah. Yeah, it's like an interesting addition for me in the movie. Like, I don't know how I feel about it flow-wise. I guess, I mean, it works, but, but it is like an abrupt change of scene, you know? Right, okay. So, the way I understand it is the Manhattan Project and the atomic bomb was like the pinnacle of Oppenheimer's life, right? It's his defining mm-hmm. thing. And... The way it came about was his desire to combine physics and this New Mexico countryside that he loved so much. He loved it so much. Like, the book talks about how much he loved it and how often he'd go back and how much he yearned to go back whenever he wasn't there. And it's the reason he worked in California, in Berkeley and Caltech, because he wanted to be near that nature. Wow. It's, It's such a big part of his life, right? As much as the physics is a part of his life, that is a part of his life. And that's why I think it's an obvious decision for it to be in the movie. Because it's half of the manhattan project like that makes sense yeah but but for me i think his love for nature or that area didn't come through as strongly as it actually is mm, probably yeah okay like it didn't feel like to me wow oppie is a lover of nature and that area where he right. constantly goes to it's just like the movie's just like oh he goes there he enjoys his time with friends there he leaves goes back to doing science if that makes sense. Right. In this way, I guess. Like, do you ever read books that have had movie adaptations done or the other way around? Yeah. Yeah. Like Fight Club, a bunch of YA novels back in the day. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. You loved your YA novels. Fight Club, I watched the movie first and then I read the book. They were pretty different, but it worked really well for the both of them, I think. Like, with David Fincher's adaptation, I felt like he probably knew exactly what to change and what to keep. Mm-hmm. I think after this experience, I decided that I'm always going to watch the movie before I read the book. Damn. Wow, okay. I think that's just, just a natural state mm-hmm. of affairs. That's what I did with Pride and Prejudice, and I loved it. Because there's always more to explore in the book. That is true. It's like expanding your horizons. Exactly, instead of going the other way around. Yes, exactly. So if I got anything out of this movie... It's that you should watch the movie first. I was gonna say, yeah, most people growing up would say, you should always read the book first. Uh, you should always read exactly. the book and then watch the movie. Yeah. Why do yeah. people brainwash you like that? <laughs> I know, yeah. They're like restricting their own experience with the film, I guess. Um, the Power of the Dog is also based on a book that True. I have not read, but True. I'd be curious to compare. We also saw um, that together, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, but I bet, you know, Campion changed important things for the screen. We need to do one of her movies for the podcast. I've seen most of her movies yeah. already, but I'd be down to rewatch. Okay. Um, uh, I did want to mention just one thing, because I was watching interviews at some point, mm-hmm. and I saw this Killy Murphy interview where he talks about how his 15-year-old son saw the movie. Wow, young boy. My reaction. Okay. Like, 
Wait, and yeah. how you love them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Them. There you go. <laughs> Delayed reaction. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's sweet. Wait a second. <laughs> Daddy, who is this woman? <laughs> <laughs> Mommy! <laughs> oh my god. We're totally leaving Who's that in. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, on that note, we'll leave you guys now to think about this conversation just as much as you had to think after the movie. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we had some thoughts to contribute, even though we were basically repeating ourselves. I What I meant by that was they're going to not think at all any like anything about this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's just as dull yes, as perhaps. the movie. Yeah, and if you, the listener, feel otherwise about the movie, well, I'm sorry, I don't know what to say. Yeah, let us know, maybe we'll change our minds. Like, I yeah. kind of changed my mind about Barbie. Yeah, yay, Team Barbie. Thanks for listening. Remember to like the episode, subscribe to us on whichever podcast platform you're using, whether it be Spotify, Team Me, or Apple Podcast, Team Unsoul. Oh, what? <laughs> so basically i use spotify and Unsoul uses apple podcasts so choose your allegiances wisely yippee kaye motherfuckers yeehaw <laughs> <laughs> we're leaving this in we're so leaving this in cue the music <laughs> <laughs>